So, reflecting on the here and now, just these words, <clears throat> here and now is a way of uh, reminding yourself, you know, to be open, receptive, where the attitude of I've come here to do something, to get something, is always based on the assumption of a somebody doing something to attain a result in the future. <clears throat> so like practice, uh, meditation, these words in the general attitude of the self, of a conditioned self, is usually doing something now, practicing some method in order to get some result in the future. <clears throat> so in the, just referring to the reminding yourself, recollecting or uh, sati, ability to remember, to recollect this here and now is like this. So when I reflect in this way, it immediately reminds me to open, to relax, open, be attentive, aware of any, you know, of the state of mind, the mood that I'm experiencing, or physical conditions, breath, atmosphere is like this. So it's all very, it's ultimately simple. The, the path of non-suffering is, uh, even though you could call it the Eightfold Path, that makes it sound quite complicated actually. It's just this, it's the simplicity of being here and now, open, receptive, attentive. This word attention, awareness, mindfulness, these kind of uh, words, <coughs> how I'm using them is attitude of, uh, not of concentrating on an object, but of being open and receptive to here and now, and all that implies, both physically, mentally, psychically. And so discerning this, it's like this, where <clears throat> noticing when we're caught in views and opinions about practice and having to do things to get results or get rid of defilements or <clears throat> attain states, this is this way of thinking always is a sense of of me having to do something. <clears throat> 
So the like the personality Sakya Ditti is is always based on you know the identity with the body. I'm I'm getting old. I'll be seventy two this year. It's based on the the sense of cultural conditioning. You know, you you have to make you have to get somewhere. You have to be somebody. You have to work hard. <clears throat> have to achieve. Don't be lazy. Be a winner. The cultural conditioning, very much, you know, from from the American cultural conditioning, is very much one of attainment, proving yourself. Getting somewhere, achieving. So the so the personality is uh, is one that is motivated to achieve, attain, control. <clears throat> so in Sakya Titi, Sila Bhattabharamasa, they're intertwined. It's all the conditioning. You know the personality, the cultural conditioning that we get after we're born. We're not born with a with Sakya Ditti or Silabhata Paramartha. <clears throat> so then you reflect when birth, they birth. Uh, implies the physical body separates itself, comes forth from the mother and operates as a separate conscious entity. So consciousness and the body. We don't create these. These are not, you know, something we create out of delusion, out of a sense of self or culturally... uh, uh, condition. So we're paying attention to this, that, that consciousness is like this, natural state. The body, <clears throat> physical body that we're experiencing right now is, is natural state. It's, you know, we can claim it on a personal level and identify with its appearance. But now we're just receiving it as experience right now, the physical body in consciousness, when we're bringing attention just to the experience of sitting at this moment. It's like this. Breathing is like this. Consciousness is like this. So sati sampajanya is our ability to be, be, you know, the consciousness is operating, but with attention, with uh, receptivity, Rather than creating things, or or just operating from uh, 
สิลปัตปามาสะสักเขติติเป็นจริง observant of of the way it is consciousness is knowing ability to know its intelligence its light so that these are these are words not for definition but for reflecting say observing noticing the way it is is like this like knowing the world uh, nor of the world the loka we do <clears throat> one of the epithets of the buddha to know the way it is the world is what i think what well, i create the world i am the creator of the world and this is not megalomania this is just a reflection from the you know the sense of myself as a person my world my body my views my feelings my life my history <clears throat> And then that world is is influenced by all kinds of factors, by you know the, the genetic uh, inheritance that we have, that in individuals have, by all kinds of variants of culture and society and. War and peace, and success, failure, praise and blame. But when we're aware, then we're at that still point, that pure presence that is consciousness with awareness. Before the world arises, and so it's discerning this. This is it. This is what it is. Like this, and and using these terms, the way it is, or it's like this. Notice it's not, it's not describing or defining it. It's this this way of thinking of using thought is to to increase the attentiveness to really observe because it's what we generally overlook. We don't notice when we're caught up in the worlds that we create. We believe in them, and we we react, and we love and hate accordingly. So, with sati sampachanya, are using these words to remind ourselves to stop creating, stop stop doing. Stop, stop trying. Even trying to meditate is is based on, you know, some kind of sense of effort. Of I've got to do something. I've got to try. Even trying to be mindful is counterproductive. 
because we grasp the conception of mindfulness, the, or the perception of mindfulness. You know, we think of the good thing to do, so we've got to become mindful. We've got to develop mindfulness. And that, what is that? That's the thinking process grasping an idea again. I'm somebody who's got to do this, you know, try to be more aware, more mindful. Now when you observe that, even that thing, I must try to be more mindful, that is, you know, sakyatiti, isn't it? And I listen to it, I listen to myself thinking this, I, I must be more mindful. Yesterday, I, I was opening a door and I, and uh, I was distracted for a moment and, and I caught a sliver in my left thumb. Big sliver went right into the fingernails. And immediately the, the psychiatrist says, you should be more mild. <laughs> <laughs> this internal nag. So observing this, like being aware of of this uh, this grasping of Buddhist ideas, <clears throat> Buddhist teachings, Buddhist ideals, you know, this is uh, creates uh, this uh, this internal tyrant, this critic, you know, telling you what how you should be, what you should do, what's wrong with you. Very, uh, you know, how you should practice hard, you should try harder, you should be more mindful, you should develop samadhi, you should practice vipassana, and on and on like this, you shouldn't be selfish. <clears throat> All these these kind of ways of, what they call the kind of superego, <clears throat> that critical faculty that always is is kind of nagging away. Because it's coming from, you know, it, it knows how things should be. And that from the idealism that we have, we know, we all are very much aware of how things should be, how I should be, what monks should be and nuns should be and good lay supporters should be, in a good monastery it should be, what Britain should be. And then the, the realities of the way it is, you know, is can, can you ever really be what you should be on a con- in a constant way? 
Can you sustain an ideal personality, you know, through the day and night? So then this sense of awakening to the way it is. You know, the Buddha didn't say, wasn't telling us that we've got to become something or attain something. The teachings are about awakening to the way it is. Puto tamo. We take refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma. This is what the it means, you know, it's the reminder of awakened. Wake up. Pay attention to life. To Dhamma, to the way it is. So then the all conditions are impermanent. Because when we when we don't, uh, you know, on the, the Sakyaditi level, we, we think, of, I think of myself as a permanent personality. That assumption is, is there, latent, uh, assuming I'm the same person I was yesterday. And you assume I'm actually the same person. This is a conventional reality, the Samuti Satya. So the the uh, conditions become, you know, they have a sense of of permanency. Like I'm, I am Ajahn Sumedho all the time. When I'm alone, when I'm asleep, when I'm taking a shower. But this name, Ajahn Sumedho, this is a Samut Satcha. It's not, it's not, it's not Baramatta. It's not ultimate truth. But if I don't know this, if I don't know the difference, then I, then I operate from I'm Ajahn Sumedho all the time. Even I assume that I'm this, this same, this is me under all conditions, all circumstances. So, so somebody's writing a biography of my life, and the, the, the authoritative biography of Ajahn Sumedha. <laughs> so it should only start after I was ordained, really, because before I was ordained, I was, had a different name. <laughs> But the assumption, isn't it, that I'm the same person, even when I was Robert Jackman, it's the same person, only took on a different name. <clears throat> so we don't notice, we aren't, you know, we operate in the Samut Satya, in the conventional reality, as the ultimate reality. The personality becomes the, the subject, subjective position, of everything we do, me, Ajahn Sumedho, my life, my views, my opinions, my desires, my faults, my weaknesses, 
and how I experience life, about what I approve of, disapprove of, like, don't like. So that kind of illusion, you know, you know, if I get power, if I'm become uh, prime minister of the UK, get power, get a lot of power. If I become the Buddhist uh, pope of the universe. I can, that's where I become a tyrant, can't I? If this illusion is still, because I'm using position and power from the illusion, from I am this person. If I'm the Buddhist Pope of the universe, I'm the most important Buddhist. According to the way my personality would perceive, would think. How could you be, how could you get higher than that on a conventional level? Buddhist Pope of the universe. <clears throat> I'm taking it to absurdity deliberately. It, it is comical. Then I could go to the other extreme. I don't want to be uh, an inflated, arrogant power figure like that. I just want to be a humble bhikkhu, living a life content with my requisites, <clears throat> practicing diligently, purifying my mind. <clears throat> but that's uh, still sakyaditi, and because it's still an illusion of a permanent self, only in you know trying to be humble and proper monk. Buddhist monk, according to Buddhist ideas. <clears throat> the Buddhist pope of the universe is the, you know, inflated Sakyaditi. <laughs> but we're just pointing to Sakyaditi, not, you know, not to, we point to an extreme like Buddhist pope of the universe and to, to the ideal of of a good bhikkhu, content with the four requisites, practicing diligently, striving on, uh, keeping the the discipline, humble, kind, and generous, compassionate, wise, unselfish. So that's a that's an idea which is to me much more inspiring than Buddhist Pope of the Universe. But the reality of this moment is like this. It's, it's nothing to do with those perceptions. It's, it's beyond uh, definition, so it can only be recognized. It's not ideal. It's not bound into, into definition. So the only way that one can can know outside of defining, knowing about things through defining them, through naming them, is through awareness. You know, because this doesn't need definition. It doesn't need, a, a, you know, a boundary to it. 
where any word, any perception is always puts boundaries or you know, we become we attach to Vedana Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana that attachment, that Upadana thing. That out of ignorance, attachment through ignorance is the world that we create. So it's not creating the world, not creating anything, but receiving. Being like a... having no boundary to this conscious moment. Not defining it in any way. Not conceiving it, but knowing it's like this. Well, this is what I call intuitive awareness. So it's reflecting and noticing, observing. Then, the using such words the way it is 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 helping to, you know, if skillfully used means a way of, of in, informing yourself, this is it. You know, this, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it right now, this, the way it is. This is ground zero. This is awareness without attachment, is like this. Consciousness without Ubadana, ignorance and Ubadana is like this. <clears throat> because it's so easy to overlook, because of the, the, the habit tendencies to strive, to, to doubt it, isn't it? Because if you start thinking about it, you're going to go into doubt. Is this really it? Is this really the path, or am I just inflating my ego? Am I, have I got it wrong? Uh, what does the Anguttara Nikaya say? What does the, what does the Abhidhamma say? What is it, you know, what, what would Lung Cha say in Buddha Ta? So in Wichikicha then, this, this doubt, the third fetter is, uh, you know, is created through thinking. The attachment to thinking and ideas. So as long as, as long as you keep thinking and attachment, attach to thought, then your, the results are going to be Wichikicha or doubt. Now, in like uh, Ajahn Chah used to use in Thai language, he say, "Obrom duang." Inform yourself with wisdom. So this isn't, you know, to 
to, you can't do this from the Sakyatiti Silabhata Baramasa Vichikicha position. Because those, you know, we've learned our language, our cultural conditioning sense of ourselves through ignorance, through avidya. So it can't be trusted, you know. It's, it is what it is. It is sankhara, impermanent, not self. <laughs> so you can't, you know, that, that stuff needs to be recognized, observed, noticed. Studied, examined, investigated, like this. So that it's, it's hold on you, the way it hooks and intimidates and you, you know, you, you, the more you understand it, the less it has control over you or power over your consciousness. So it's not a matter of suppressing or denying it or rejecting it, but knowing it. Because these are all qualities, you know, good, bad, right, wrong, true, false. It's the dualities. It's the shoulds and shouldn'ts. It's the assumptions we all have from our cultural conditioning. We all have assumptions about things, you know, about what's right, what's wrong, and how things should be, what's proper, what's good etiquette, what's good manners, what isn't. You know, in an international community like this, isn't it? We, if we have, if we're too fixed on how things should be according to my cultural views. And I'm always going to be kind of upset and uncomfortable with, when people don't think and act and have the same assumptions that I have. They should all be thinking like I do. <laughs> so many of the mistakes I've made in monastic life have come from that illusion. mistakes in, the, in leading communities is, is that kind of illusion of thinking, you know, assuming from assumptions, not from intentional malice or <clears throat> ill will, but from, from delusion. <clears throat> so I think it's very important to know the these uh, first three fetters, study them and, and uh, not with that attitude of, you know, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's not a matter of, because we call them fetters, that there's something wrong with them. When we start thinking of them as fetters, and then the assumption is they're bad or they're obstructions and we've got to get rid of them. And they're to be studied <clears throat> investigated. You know, this is like the teaching, the Buddha gave these teachings so we could know things as they are. Not try to get rid of the things we, we don't like or we think are wrong. We need to know wrong and right. It's like this. Because they're wrong and right are 
qualities based on thinking. You know, intuitive awareness is a, you can't say is right or wrong. Right and wrong come and go, but, but uh, there's no absolute right or absolute wrong. Because these are, these are the function of thought. Thought is dualistic and divisive. So you're noticing that the limitation of thinking and its function is, is to criticize, to compare, to limit, to define. That's what thinking is for. And then if we just get stuck in that realm, then we're bound into that dualism of thought. It's so easy in, in a tradition like this, you know, to be caught in the right and wrong attitudes, the true Dhamma, the right Dhamma. We should do what is right and refrain from doing what is wrong. <clears throat> Do good, refrain from doing bad. And then, you know, wanting to hold on to the good and get rid of the bad. Now, there's not, I'm not saying that, you know, implying that, that this is, that there's something wrong with thinking, but it, it's, uh, you know, the way to, understand the limitation of thinking, of thought, which inevitably results in wichikicha, or doubt. So in, in affirming, you know, the way it is, you know, opening, observing, attentive, the bodies like this, the breath, Sound of silence, awareness, and this is, you know, through attitudes of more relaxed attention, openness, and receptivity, rather than grasping something, absorbing into something, but kind of letting go the sense of of relinquishing, opening, and receiving. So if you try to do that, what, try to be open and, <laughs> because you're, you know, that's the danger of language is you grasp the, the ideas alone and you don't trust the reality. As long as you, you idealize Buddhism and practice and that, then it's still caught in that conceptual level. So in, with the, this mindfulness, intuitive awareness, for example, just, these are, these are not imperatives or commandments, not saying you, you know, telling you should relax and pay attention. They're more encouragements. You know, 
invitations, uh, not imperatives. You don't have to relax. <laughs> you know, be as tense as you possibly can. So you get to know it, you know, so, you know, you really tense the body and strive, grit your teeth and push, but be aware, you know, be aware of what you're doing. So, so you're, you're not just living in some kind of vague uh, ideal of relax, open up, be mindful, and then you, you don't quite know what you're doing. You know. Is this it? I'm just supposed to sit here and, and uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Tell me what to do. <clears throat> so that's why the encouragement is more to to, you know, to, this is learning to trust yourself more. Like, you know, you're the one that's experiencing the here and now from where you are. So then you're then encouraging this sense of openness sense of relaxing. But not making yourself relax. It's not that you should relax. And you shouldn't, if you're tense, you shouldn't be that way. You've got to learn to relax first before you can get anywhere in meditation. <clears throat> so then it becomes you know, sakyaditi again. I'm too tense and I shouldn't be. So, you know, whatever state you're in, just receive it. Allow it to be the way it is. So if you're all tense and uncertain and, and confused, you're aware of it, aren't you? You're aware. You can, you can, once you start paying attention, you can, you're aware of tension in the body of stress, of of feeling, I don't know what I, what he's talking about. I don't know what to do. Confusion is like this. So you're actually opening, receiving the way it is. Not the way it should be, but the way it is right now in terms of the uh, of what's happening remember listening to to a program on Radio 4 one time where the, this uh, lady was talking about 
that she's a, in one of these kind of therapists that that uh, is, teaches relaxation, methods of relaxing, and she's had to give up using the word relax because it creates people, it creates a lot of tension in people. <laughs> oh, that was quite amusing. <laughs> Because the ideal of relaxing, isn't it? I should relax, I should open, I should be mindful. It's still, a, you know, the sakyatiti problem, the conditioned sense of self and how things should be and that you should, if you're tense, there's something wrong with you, you shouldn't feel tense and stressful. You shouldn't doubt, you shouldn't be... We, none of us like to be confused personally, you know, it's a very unpleasant emotional state. I don't know, I just feel so confused, I don't know where I'm at kind of thing. At least speaking for myself, which I can do, I can't, maybe some of you love to be confused. <laughs> But uh, personally, you know, I've always resisted. I want, I'd do anything for clarity, even if it's a lie. <laughs> even if it's an illusion. Tell me you love me. You don't have to, you don't really have to, but just tell me you do. <laughs> Say everything's all right, you know, even though it's a mess. Just tell me it's all right and it'll make me feel good. <clears throat> With meta practice too, you know, like the, it can be too idealistic. We should have loving kindness for all sentient beings. <clears throat> it's the ideal, isn't it? You know, may all beings be f- happy, may all beings be free from fear and so forth. And so it's the, uh, you know, on the level of idealism, all beings everywhere, that includes, you know, um, beings you see or you can't see or know or don't know, who are, who are who've passed away or are still alive. And be, and then the, gets more immediate is the people you, you know, your relations, people you work with. It gets more emotional, and you know, it gets more personal, doesn't it? <clears throat> you know, I used to joke joke about it. It's much easier to spread metta to a billion Chinese that I don't know than the monk that I'm angry with. <laughs> Because right now, in this position here, a billion Chinese in China are no threat to me at this moment. You know, I don't even, I can't even name one by name. Because I can't even think of the president. (laughs) It's one of those Chinese names you never remember. (laughs) 
I remember Mao Zedong, <laughs> Jiang Kai-shek, Confucius. Well, that's that's a Latinized version. <laughs> but then, you know, living in the community, isn't it? We we affect each other emotionally. We 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 threaten each other in ways. We feel threatened. We have you know emotional reactions because of the immediacy of of living together. You know, having to share uh, daily life, in which it brings up a lot of the sakya ditti sense of me. Uh, trying to protect myself or affirm myself, like like sakyaditi depend. You know, for me to feel happy as a person, I need a lot of praise. I need, you know, I I want you to smile at me because when you smile, then that person that makes me feel everything's okay. And and. I, I, and that makes me personally feel okay. <laughs> if you know, you, <clears throat> if you don't smile, then I think everything isn't okay. And I can even take it very put You don't like me. It can go like that. Uh, the sakya ditti. Where smile, you know, even if it's a phony smile, it can, it can create the illusion of, well, you look friendly enough. You know, on a level of um, experience, isn't it? Smile's always inviting. When you're welcoming somebody, you're putting out the red carpet, the hospitality, greeting people, uh, you smile, and it makes everybody feel happy. And, you know, and I'm... Uh, you know, I'm famous for my smile. Then I come in and I smile and everybody relaxes. <laughs> if I come in with my face all screwed up, then everybody gets tense. So, in, you know, just the effect of a smile on a group, even, on an individual. So you have these little round circles with two dots and then a, then a mouth that curves upward. And it says, smile. <laughs> Let a smile be your umbrella on a rainy day. As a kind of pop music of the during the depression, in this <laughs> another one was smile though your heart is breaking. <laughs> that was the fifties. See, that's how I'm conditioned. The you younger ones brought up in the punk era and that and it's not quite so soppy, but maybe more gruesome or 
negative. My, the, the, my youth was spent on this incredible uh, kind of uh, uh, positiveness, trying to put on the, the good face, look good, stiff upper lip, be happy. Life is wonderful, life is beautiful. <clears throat> Positive thinking. So that, that noticing that, that positive thinking does, you know, just when, in, uh, in the here and now, when you, when you think positively, you will feel happy. That's just the way it is. Being attached to goodness, to positive views, to high-minded ideals and things like this, it, it, it's inspiring, and it, and and we feel happy when we're attached to negative views, to critics, to criticisms. We notice what's wrong, what what what's wrong with oneself, or wrong with the society we're in. We're we're obsessed with what's wrong, with the flaw, with the the fault. Then, then we feel like that. It's something wrong. It shouldn't be like this. Look at that. There's a there's a flaw in that. There shouldn't. You know. I don't like that. I don't like to see something with that kind of fault in it. We've got to do something about it. And so that. Observing this, that attachment to negativity takes us into kind of depressing states of mind. Doom, destruction, death, decay, life is miserable, all you do is get old, get sick and die. Everybody's selfish. There are no arahants, no Buddhas, no God. It's just, you know, get what you can out of it because everybody's selfish, self-centered, egotistical. Make sure you've got yours. What does that do to your mind? <laughs> I, I've deliberately thought of this, in, you know, and but listen to my thinking process. It's to examine it. You know, I listen to myself thinking. And so, you know, I can wind myself up with positive thinking. I get high. I can get piti sukha, uh, rapture and happiness through, through thinking, grasping goodness, beauty, truth. And then, then the, uh, I can lose it all by by the other. <laughs> I remember I used to do these uh, when I in the early years of my monastic life I used to do the I took this casina of green you know I I thought green would be a kind of uh, invigorating it's an invigorating color. You know so I used to 
Yeah, I'm very good at visualizing things, so I can visualize colors. I, I just visualize this this uh, green uh, circle, you know, a circle of green. And then, uh, and then at first I just used the term green, and I got a kind of dull green, you know, kind of. At first, the first green thing was the was the kind of green maybe before as uh, before the sunlight comes in too strong, like in a forest, you know. So it's a kind of darkish green. <clears throat> And then when the, if you watch how the sun affects the color green in nature, you know, as it gets directly overhead, green becomes very brilliant, vibrant color. <clears throat> so it, it depends on the light you give it for it, you know, kind of, so that it's kind of radiant, bright green depends on a lot of sunlight or light. So this kind of dull green that I first started with I boosted up just by thinking, you know, by creating it brighter and brighter. <clears throat> Till then, then the thought is the brightest green, the most beautiful, radiant, vibrant green in the whole universe. So I created that. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the critical mind says, what a bunch of rubbish. You're just playing games with your mind. <laughs> of course, it disappeared just like that. <laughs> but I actually, through affirming it endlessly, and even, you know, then, you know, like, who's to know? Who, you know, there's a more beautiful green spot somewhere in the universe. <laughs> You know, when you think about it, of course, you know, there, there's all kinds of possibilities of, of a more beautiful green spot than the one I've created. But then that's thinking again, isn't it? Then you're speculating and wondering and, and also maybe recognizing that you're just, you know, you're creating this illusion. <clears throat> so then, you know, it's just, Playing games with the mind, how I, how I ended up looking at it. And it did give you a good feeling, you know, it gave something to do and, and a, a vibrant, radiant, bright green is, is a, you know, is quite a, um, you know, a beautiful color to, to live with in the present. But it does, it takes that grasping of, of belief and positivity and commitment to that positiveness. You get the rapture, the piti sukha from it. You can develop jhanas through, through this, you know, through because you're, you're, you know, you're absorbing into it, it becomes your reality. And its effect, what is the effect of it? Is it it's uh, you're experiencing green. (laughs) 
So, so that's exploring, you know, investigating how, how the mind is. Uh, you know, how, you know, what the, how the, the grasping of thoughts and ideas, positive thinking, does make life happier for people. You notice positive people are happier than the, than uh, negative ones. And that's just the way it is. So, uh, you know, the good makes you happy, the bad makes you unhappy. But this is all conditions. These are relative. These are dependent states. You can't live with a green spot in front of you in a kind of ongoing situation. You know, it just, uh, you know, you can't sleep with it or anything. You have to keep grasping it and creating it and sustaining it through acts of will, through concentration, through absorption. But it has a very pleasant effect on consciousness. Where if I go into the other, you know, I get depressed. Life is no good, don't trust anybody I'm no good, I can never get anywhere. I can't meditate, I can't, you know, I'm a hopeless case. Look at the, all the failures of my part. I get, I can sink into depression. So depression, you know, is a kind of commitment to misery. You know, unmitigated grasping of misery. <clears throat> negativity. So then awareness, now that th- these are the two extremes pointing to first in the conditioned realm, heaven and hell. Awareness embraces both, has no preference. It accommodates, has room for everything, for heaven, for hell, for beautiful, radiant, the most beautiful, radiant, green spot in the whole universe and the most nastiest, miserable health state. It's not preferring one over the other. Now what's that like? You, you can't conceive it. You've got to give up conceiving to recognize it. Recognize the power. As Eckhart told the title of his book, Power of Now. That's a very good title. <laughs> Power of now, here and now, because the now uh, can accommodate everything. Everything belongs. It's not. It's not a preference or a division. A division of this should be here, but that I don't want. You know, I don't want that here. And so to recognize this, this is a natural state, it's not a created state. It's not like the most beautiful radiant green spot in the universe, which takes a strong determination to sustain it. This is effortless. It's self-sustaining because it's, it's not something, not compounded by me trying to make it into something, trying to find it or conceive it or or define it in any way, describe it in any way. It's like this, the suchness, 
So this you can only know for yourself. You know, you can't, you know, I'm doing the best I can to uh, encourage you. <laughs> but you notice, I can't make you, <laughs> I can't kind of point to it so you can see it, you know, in in uh, in an objective way. It's a recognition of it. Pajitang we say to be experienced individually. Now then, this is uh, these three fetters are the obstructions to the path. The path of liberation. So, you know, it's the the stream entry. So it's like to really know these three fetters means that that you actually are, you get to know them, understand them, recognize them in all their various uh, aspects, subtleties, or lack of subtlety, coarseness or refined or whatever. But that, that then you can actually uh, recognize <clears throat> this is it, this is the path. This is the, and this is really the beginning of bhavana or meditation in the Fourth Noble Truth. Samaditi. So it's, uh, that's why it's so well described, you know, the actual road map is, is very good in Buddhism. In this Pali form, it is very, very clearly uh, stated. And this you realize for yourself. You want me to tell you, you want the Ajahn or the meditation master or the guru to tell, tell you whether you, you attain stream entry or whatever. That's still Sakyaditi, isn't it? You don't trust yourself. And it's not budgetung, it's not, you don't know. You're still caught up in, in sakyaditi and vichikicha. So, you know, until you see through those, you know, so it, it, to, to know this for certain isn't sakyaditi. Because it's, it's, it's reality, it's not, not a contrived uh, ideal or a way of deluding yourself. Because it's, it's based on sati sampatanya, sati panya, on, on uh, intuition, intuitive awareness, and wisdom. So like these, these kind of teachings are wisdom teachings. They're not wisdom in themselves. But they're skillful means to 
to develop, to trust in wisdom, which is natural to us. It's not a, a learned, you don't study it and, and, and condition yourself to become wise. Uh, you know, that's still Sakyatiti Silapata Paramasa, which will always end up as Wichikicha, doubting. You know, when you go and study philosophy in a university, they're all a bunch of doubters. They think too much. <laughs> they can't stop thinking. So it's just, uh, you know, they've, they've got brilliant thoughts, but it always leads to Michikecha. So they, this is why an encouragement to awaken is it's an it's an encouragement, not a command. And to trust, you know, to recognize this is this is a natural state. It's not a it's not a an attainment that I'm that I've that I have as a person. I can't claim it as as I've attained anything. And then, then it's back into that mode of sakyaditi again. So it's learning to to recognize this natural state of attentiveness, receptivity, consciousness, here and now. Recognizing it. Then you're then you have perspective on the conditioned realm that, that it, it, it is inevitably affecting us in the here and now. It has this, this refuge in awareness in which we can respond to the particular contingencies of this moment. You know, and respond to situations. Do good, refrain from doing bad. And they, they kind of Donasila aspects of the of the way are you know how we live, what we act, how we act, and and uh, respond to the uh, experiences in the in the world that we're we're experiencing. So the attitude: do good, refrain from doing bad. This is in terms of of worldly life, you know, of living in the world as a member of society, <clears throat> encouragement towards skillfulness, goodness, morality, generosity. This does, you know, without the pawana, it still, it still brings joy and happiness into our lives. You know, Donasila. Uh, you know, makes gives us a quality of life as a person, as a good citizen, as a good monk and nun, as a good man or woman, husband or wife. You know, these are these are good things to do. And but we still have the opposite affecting us. We still get angry and jealous and greedy and lustful. But we're not. That's not our activity. That's not what we act on in in our daily life. But we're certainly aware of it. So, 
uh, satisampachanya is the ability to learn from both. We learn wisdom is learning not through preference, but through discerning conditioned phenomena and unconditioned. Knowing, it's a knowing discernment. And to know the, to know the unconditioned is, is not, you don't know it as an object. You recognize it. It's like space, isn't it? You recognize here and now, but you, you may not bother to, to notice it because you're so interested in the things the objects. But as you open, as you let go of your fascination with the objects, then the space is obvious. It's not a creation. You don't create it. It's recognized. So even if all the created things disappear, space still is present, isn't it? If we should, if I should tell you all to leave this hall, and then we tear down the building when it's all completely demolished the space is not (laughs) still space the things in it have have disappeared we'll apply that to to consciousness you know consciousness is self-sustaining we don't create it we create thoughts, we have emotional habits, we have views and opinions, loves and hates and preferences, prejudices, obsessions. But to see space, we don't have to demolish the Dharma Hall. It's good enough. We we have to know this is good enough. We don't have to know, you know, destroy the world. Not Armageddon. Destroying the world. But it's it's knowing the world where the world no longer can delude us. No longer is our refuge. And no longer is our identity. I'll stop here.